Welcome back to the Word Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast. I'm Morgan Piersdorf, and this is episode four of season 10 of the Work Bold Podcast. Caleb was in Madrid recording live at the Urban Land Institute's European Conference this season. And in this episode, he sits down with the chair of ULI Europe Young Leaders, Tipo Weston-Smith, to talk about his work within ULI, as well as his role as managing director at Realty Corp. Tipo has a passion for innovation and sustainability. In fact, he's been championing the amenitization of buildings even before the Work Bold podcast, having launched Zoe back in 2017 for Tishman Spire. His perspective for the needed evolution within the commercial real estate industry is further informed by his work in sustainable building material innovations for emerging economies. So when it comes to the need for the decarbonization of assets, does he see more challenge or opportunity? Tebow is a refreshingly glass half full kind of guy, and even when it comes to the divide on flex valuation, he sees more opportunity for resiliency, control, and technology innovation than anything else. Really a great episode ahead. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or topics you want covered, reach out to Caleb on Twitter at Caleb underscore Parker, or send him a DM on LinkedIn, where you can also find me as well. Before we kick this episode off, we are back to embark on a journey to uncover how furniture as a service can drive sustainability in real estate. Can this innovative concept truly revolutionize the way we approach environmental responsibility? We're about to unveil some enlightening perspectives featuring the visionary forces at NorNorm. So let's dive into the heart of sustainability with their co-founder and CEO, Anders Jepsen. Anders, can you shed some light on NorNorm's circular business model and its potent role in advancing the sustainability agenda? How can furniture as a service improve sustainability? We see in the world of commercial real estate, a major shift is underway. Leaders in real estate are not just focusing on creating sustainable buildings, but also they are prioritizing circularity for interior spaces. Nornorm stands at the forefront of this change with furniture as a service, addressing the increasing need for demonstrating environmental responsibility in real estate. By choosing furniture solutions that reduce waste and carbon emission, stakeholders make a conscious choice to contribute to a more sustainable future. Nornorm's approach is not just innovative. It aims to contribute to complete circularity in real estate, from building materials to interiors, aligning with the global push towards sustainability. Nornorm's vision for the workspace of the future is simple. Place circularity at the core and demonstrate how this is better for business, people and planet. By embracing Nornorm, real estate can drastically reduce CO2 emissions and waste production driving us closer to a greener future. So how much CO2 emission can we save by going from a linear business model to a circular one? Stay tuned to find out more later in the episode. Now, on with the show. Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Workbook Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Parker. In this episode, I'm joined by Thibaut Weston-Smith, Managing Director for Realty Corp. Thibaut oversees Realty Corp's prop tech strategy and development. He is also responsible for growing the firm's real estate investment activities across Europe and the US. Thibaut has 10 years of experience working in real estate investment on several continents. He previously worked for US-based developer and real estate owner Tishman Spire. He started as a financial analyst in Paris and then moved to Washington, DC, where he was a senior director. 
He's held various roles in acquisitions, development management, asset management, investor relations, and portfolio management. In addition, Thibault spearheaded innovation in the DC region and was responsible for the rollout of Zoe, a new collection of amenities and services provided to Tishman Spire tenants. He also worked for AXA IM Real Assets, and more recently, Thibault was the CFO of 14 Trees based in Africa. He specialized in finance and also graduated from Essex Real Estate Chair. Thibault is a native French and English speaker and has conversational knowledge of German and Spanish. And of course, he's a member of the RICS, Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. Welcome to the Workable Podcast, Thibault. Good morning, Caleb. Good to see you face-to-face. We caught up virtually uh, last week, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. And you were in France, but I was in London. And today we're sitting here in person in Madrid at the ULI conference. And tomorrow you have the Young Leaders Forum That's right. here, here uh, in Madrid. So I... Tell me about that that initiative, what's going on. And obviously, you know, this season we had a panel podcast with some young leaders who are also going to be here tomorrow. But yeah, tell me about the Young Leaders Forum. Sure. And perhaps to back up a bit and tell you about the young leaders and then defining who we are. Uh, young leaders within the ULI are members that are under the age of 35 years old. The next generation of leaders who have the opportunity to engage with the current generation of leaders. Our day tomorrow will be our Young Leader Forum. It happens once a year as part of the ULI Europe Annual Conference. It's a dedicated day for us, for over 100 young leaders coming from all across the world, mainly Europe, but also we have people from the Americas, APAC, coming to the conference. And we'll be talking about some of the most pressing questions today. The topic of our Young Leader Forum tomorrow is hard times, hard questions. How do we address these in today's environment and how do we drive innovation? We'll be talking about sustainability, AI, disruption of, of the way we work with play, different ways of thinking, the public-private partnerships that we have in, in our ecosystem. We'll be listening from both young leaders and other ULI members who will share their wisdom experience and how to you know, define the way we shape our real estate world together. Well, it sounds like some very bold conversations, I have to say. I got a preview of some of these conversations in this panel podcast, which I'm going to keep pumping all season long because people need to listen to that one with Brees, Simon, Paras, and Nishal. But uh, before we go further into these different topics today, I want to back up again to your career path because I find it fascinating. And I'd like you to sort of talk about the last maybe decade of your career and what's brought you here today. Sure, very happy to. So actually, even backing up a little further. So Thibaut Weston-Smith, born and raised in France by a British father, a French mother, went into a business school in France where I studied both finance and real estate with a drive for entrepreneurship. I started my career working for a New York-based developer and asset manager called Tishman Spire. I started in their Paris team. I was fortunate to move to the States. I was in Washington, D.C. for about four years. I was always on the acquisitions investment team, asset management, development management within that team as well, and driven by also joining the innovation force. So in particular, when I, I moved to the States, I was part of global committees on innovation, was launching all sorts of new initiatives, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, locally, where uh, we would you know, drive new ways of operating our office buildings. We launched an initiative called Zoe in 2017, uh, where basically we were providing new level of services, amenities, different types of thinking of our 
occupiers in our buildings. So wait, wait, wait. This is 2017. You guys were amenitizing buildings and th- putting the customer at the center of the universe before we started talking about it on this podcast in 2020. So I'm going to say that's my line of innovation. Yep. And you guys were way before it. Yeah, we were, tr- we were trying to do this because like in, in the way, and that was pre-COVID, you're right, that we were trying to rethink about the ways you're, you serve your customers, right? Which there's a real shift that has happened. And I think most landlords have acknowledged this today as well. Whereas you were focused initially on the B2B side where, you know, you're dealing with your tenants, the major decision makers in these firms were actually the people you were trying to please make happy, especially when you come up to the lease end where you're trying to make them, you know, as happy as possible to renew their term being, you know, growing within your buildings, moving to another building, for example. And now really the, the, the shift, I think, in the mindset has happened where you're, like, you're focused on your occupiers, the people, the individuals who are coming in your building because they are the customers that you need to satisfy to stay within your buildings. You have to be cutting edge and like, providing all sorts of you know, services, perks, and working hand in hand with the firms that are within your buildings allowing them to be empowered to serve their own employees. That is the shift that has happened. I think when most landlords uh, tend to think we were at the forefront of this, which inspire uh, in the years 2015 and, and after. So then your career took a, a, a turn to the east a little bit and south maybe. And you ended up in Africa, or did I skip a, a step there? Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. In 2019, I left the U.S. I was about to turn 30. Uh, embarked on a journey where we um, uh, traveled the world with my wife. We went to amazing places, to Australia, New Zealand, you know, Asia, Southeast Asia mainly, uh, with the target of landing in Africa, in, in Sub-Saharan Africa. We ended up going to Nairobi uh, in Kenya, where I spent almost two years. I joined a firm called 14 Trees there that is disrupting the way we build, in, uh, in particular in emerging countries. And for example, one of the things I'm most proud of having contributed to is the way we, um, you can use 3D printing technology to build homes in a new infrastructure more generally in emerging economies. When you talk about building homes in this new innovation, the phrase 3D printing came out of our conversation. So I I was a little bit taken back by that because holy crap, can you do that? And yes, you can. So tell us a little more about that. And it's not that easy, I will say. And and it's actually funny because just to back up a bit as well, because at the time I joined this firm, 14 Trees, driven by new ways of building with a strong sustainability mindset to give you a sense of why this firm is called 14 Trees. The first innovation that was used by this firm is a sustainable brick that doesn't use the power of heating to be solidified. And in countries where deforestation is a huge issue, like, for example, Malawi, one of the poorest countries in the world that has had severe deforestation issues because people cut trees to burn bricks to build homes, we were coming up with a solution that saves 14 trees per house built with our bricks. So that's how the firm started and working with nonprofit organizations in particular to build new houses, new schools, any new building new with that mindset. New office buildings. Can we, can we build 3D print office buildings now? Of course. To talk about 3D printing and why this, the power of it is only going to progress over time. And like any machinery with Moore's Law, is the cost of it goes down over time and it'll be more widespread use. The use case for it in Nairobi or in Kenya or most of Saharan Africa is that you have such a lag in infrastructure to be built, including office buildings, that you you want to be able to solve this, disrupt the way you're building with new means and new technology. 
The benefit of 3D printing, for example, was to build faster, was to build in a more sustainable manner with less material being used and having high quality parameters, non-human, machine driven to build safer buildings, more resilient, more resistant to catastrophes and also without any risk of any shortcuts that are made sometimes in developing economies and the way buildings are built. This sounds like the dream. Why is this not being rolled out at scale into developed countries, CBDs, Amsterdam, London, New York, etc.? Very good question. So we, we have our stock in Europe, for example, has been, you know, is, is already built, right? Our cities are defined and changed. Only the numbers are like 1% of the total stock, 2% of the total stock tops is being reshaped every year. So it takes like 50 to 100 years to reshape the whole stock of, of our cities in Europe. Similarly in the US, there's more space, of course. Um, why are we not using this more at scale in our, in our countries here? Well, the answer is where there's no space to build them. So, and, and I guess, sorry, yeah, let me, let me further elaborate on this. 3D printing is limited in the heights that you can do. You're mainly printing walls, and so with the need for density for cities that are being more built with with, with several story buildings, we um, you know the, the need for the application of that technology is 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 more limited in reality. You can use it for more like concrete, like specific tailor cut type of walls within larger frameworks of buildings that are being built. But the reality is, most of the buildings that are being built today with three D printing are single or double story buildings, which is not a wise case for, uh, for our larger cities. One last question on this before we segue off, but can, do you think that we can use 3D printing in repurposing existing buildings? So to explain what 3D printing is, it's really like you're, you're pouring layers of material, concrete driven for most of it, but with now more earth funded materials to you know, build layers one on top of each other to build walls. The, the benefit of having it on site and being you know, more mindful of how you know, you're not shipping materials to be poor on site sounds on paper appealing. Uh, the reality is, yes, for design of, of special shapes, like a good use case of it is, is mainly for things that human beings cannot do. There are needs like to do tailor cut shapes going into locations where you can't build by sending human beings in this. But th therefore, the, the, the business case for office buildings most of it is not really relevant. So we're back in the studio with Anders, CEO of Nornorm. Anders, let's talk about that CO2 savings now. Well, embracing furniture as a service isn't just a choice. It's a statement of commitment to sustainability. And Nornorm is a circular model that reduces the CO2 emission by up to about 70%. But more importantly, it makes better use of resources. The positive effects are generated through furniture circulation and prolonging their lifetime by up to three times compared to when using furniture in a linear model. As a Nornorm customer, you will find the climate impact information on your subscription page and you can report it as scope three emission in your ESG reporting. And you can set new benchmarks basically for responsible operations. Thank you for, for sharing that. It, sound, it sounds like maybe one day there, with Moore's Law kicks in, there might be some potential there, but that is, it is still fascinating to me. So let's talk about your current role sure. uh, at Realty Corp. What are you focused on right now? So we, we serve international investors coming from you know, Asia, US, but also Europe to help them deploy capital in asset classes that are either you know, emerging or are suffering supply and demand imbalance. It means that you are in need of 
rebuilding these stocks, defining new ways of operating them, uh, and putting them at the standard of what our society needs today. To give you an example, we recently supported our investors, uh, Gamuda, who come from Malaysia, to acquire with a local developer called Castle Forge Partners, to acquire um, uh, an office building in the center of London, to repurpose it into a new office building when the current tenant leaves, in making it a contemporary and one of the best in class office buildings that will serve the needs of whoever leases it in the future. Mindset being sustainability, amenities, of course, it's a great piece of real estate, well located. So this is actually, I'm talking about this as, a, as an example, a part of our investment themes, for instance. This is a value-add strategy here. Great. It's a redevelopment yep. with planning risk, development risk, construction risk, financing risk, leasing risk, and exit risk, of course. So we're all, all risk elements in, in building good returns for our partners. But focus more on the real estate sides are, you know, our intention here is to build one of the most resilient, longer-term office profiles that you can find in the city of London. That will be, you know, uh, one of the best examples that you can find of a, a modern office building going forward when it delivers. Well, it's, it's fascinating. You mentioned Castle Forge. I know Mike Kovacs, a great guy. You guys are investing globally, coming into London and partnering with Castle Forge. What's the, what's the story there? So Castle Forge has a strong track record and, and known Michael Kovacs for a long time, but he also has an amazing team uh, behind him that is, you know, creates uh, source, executes all aspects of the strategy we just discussed. So what do we find in partners that we're looking for? It's that both the track records, the team, the delivery capabilities, and eventually the operations once the building is also delivered in the best five-star rating manner that you can expect in today's environment. So that's what we're focused on as part of helping our LPs to deploy capital, mainly in Europe, any investment and the asset classes we like. And we like buying office in the right location, in the right cities, in Europe in particular. Are all your investment strategies value add or do you, do you manage core, core plus, evergreen strategies as well? So we, we tend to focus more on the, the value add and opportunistic profile driven by, you know, the way our team is structured, the way our investors are turning to us to help them define strategies, find the right partners, the right deals to invest in. Uh, so we tend to be more on the value add and opportunistic um, risk. So we work, of course, with core and core plus partners as well on the sourcing or on the exit as well. And, you know, it's a small industry, so you're sharing notes all the time with, with people. But we tend more to focus on the on opportunities where there is value to be created through development, through operations, through, you know, rethinking asset classes in particular. So I have two punchy questions for you before I move on to a little bit longer topic and then close this out. The two punchy questions are in, in what you're seeing right now, whether it's with the Castle Forge deal or whether it's other deals that you're working with Pan Europe, what are the biggest challenges right now? Might be obvious, but I want you to follow up that up with the biggest opportunities. So the biggest challenges we're facing, obviously, like the carbonization of our of our real estates. And this is like, and actually it's fascinating right now hearing here at the ULI Europe annual conference, how all industry leaders and stakeholders are talking, thinking, finding a way forward to solving this. Like we need to reduce the production of CO2 
both from an embodied carbon and an operational carbon uh, standpoint. So this is the biggest theme everybody has to address. Every asset class's office is no exception. And the way we look at any asset classes, so the one we just talked about is, is the prime example of this as well, is how do we rethink about our existing stock to make it relevant, resilient, future-proof, the way we use our real estates for the foreseeable future. This is top of mind of everyone, top of mind on the private side, on the public side, all people try you know, to think ways of, of making it better. And this is top of the agenda of any questions that is asked as part of the due diligence these days. What is the best way to, to be forward thinking? There's a big learning curve. It's more than just individuals striving for this now. There's a real movement in the industry and wake-up call that has happened and we've seen in the past few years. And now we're starting to see more the impact of this being driven in new ways of, of defining our, our um, the way we're building, we're shaping our, our, our stuff. And are you saying that that's a challenge because you have to sort of retool and rethink how to deploy the capital or is there a different perspective that, that creates, a, that becomes a challenge? It's a challenge because we've lived in the world where we, we care less about this. So the mentality around it, the values associated with it, how do you price carbon? How do you price like the value of our planet, basically, which you can consume without really being impacted from a financially and economically standpoint. This has shifted. This is a challenge because obviously for existing asset owners, there's a new mindset to be had in terms of what types of value, the obsolescence of their existing buildings. But it's a huge opportunity, of course. It's an opportunity to reshape it. It's an opportunity for all people to redefine, think out of the box, find ways of contributing into being you know, more in line with the standards that you have today. So huge challenge because I think, especially in a world where you, know, you have all professionals within the industry, you have the newcomers and probably the new generations care more about protecting the planets. The ways we're talking with one another, defining roadmaps, how to you know roll out and you know the ways it was done before and find new ways of building is a huge opportunity for us. So I I, um, I I think a lot of us embrace that change. Now it's just getting to work and, and making it happen. I imagine this is probably a big part of the agenda tomorrow at the Young Leaders Forum. The things that you just described, but going back to the opportunity, I think you've answered that question in that statement there. Uh, while there, all the big challenges you, you reference, someone coming in with new capital is sort of built from the ground up to deliver this with the right processes, the right partners. That's where the opportunity is. So, is the opportunity in the fact that you can deliver and create value, and, and, and we just need to wait for the repricing to set? Or is there another opportunity out there? I think the opportunity is to is to push the limits, be it forward thinking, be driven by creating better returns for your investor. And it's always, you know, like any investment, you have to mitigate risks that you're taking with the capital and allocating your capital in the best way possible to maximize returns. And I think, you know, sustainability is not just about the desire to do greener buildings, more sustainable. It's also about creating this resilient asset classes. Being future-proof means what? Means you're basically, if you take fast forward, like building, reshaping an asset, by the time you've developed, leased it, and you want to exit potentially or long hold it, you can no longer be with an obsolete asset class because you will not find, or you have a reduced number of buyers, for example, at the time. If you haven't done 
all the things you were supposed to do to make to future proof it. So I think it's from from an investment standpoint, why is it so important? Because you're driving high returns and, and the risk return profile that you're driving with your capital has to be adapted to the needs and all the execution milestones within your business plan, whether it's, again, on the development side, on the leasing side. Like There's so many stories on the leasing front about occupants who do not want to move into a given building because you know it's a knockdown and, okay, perhaps once it, it's operated, that it's a more efficient building. The reality is like you had to, to get rid of so, I mean, and release so many tons of CO2 into the environment to get to one of the best buildings that some tenants do not want that perception, do not want that mindset because it will be criticized. It will be criticized by both their employees, their investors, their clients as well. So rethinking the way you're, you know, you're doing this more in line with today's challenges, which is like, how do we avoid releasing? How do we drive net zero? Are able to build buildings in a way that is different than what we've done in the past, that is mindful of all these aspects and serve the needs of our customers. And I, I would, I'll pick up on the last two things you said there, serving the needs of our customers and how do we build buildings? I would argue that to serve the customers is also how we operate buildings going forward, which uh, real estate is becoming way more operational. And this is where I segue to my favorite topic, spaces of service. It's clear there's a growing demand for spaces of service, for hospitality, for flexibility. And ULI's Bridging the Gap report that came out you know, a couple months ago talks about this. So I'm curious, as you're looking at providing returns to your LPs, looking for local partners and stuff, how do you look at spaces of service being part of an asset? Do you see opportunities where there's an asset that doesn't have it and it needs to be brought up to sustainable standards. So we're going to deploy all that. We live in a world now that is both with a uniformization of our real estate, meaning uses where in the past, you know, a given building would be an office building and it will be an office building forever. Now there are more discussions. A retail, a shopping center will be a shopping center forever. Now we've shifted in that mindset where you can repurpose assets. Office buildings can become residential. Of course, there are challenges on the way and every asset doesn't apply to that rule. But same way, retail can become logistics are, are the way we operate buildings, the way us as customers, as individuals, we shop is differently than we had 20 years ago. Of course, which translates into a real estate management that is more agnostic in the way we look at real estate. So this trend is going to continue to happen in my mind. And it's in parallel to having more niche dedicated asset classes. It's on the operations, it's on designing to and tailor cutting it to the needs of the businesses that are within these envelopes, within these buildings, and being adapted to the way you operate and serve them. So what I found to, to your question about where, where to deploy capital, where do we see value? I think the answer is always the same. Like, I mean, location, 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 that's will never change. Like the well-located buildings will are the ones that are most accessible, most desirable center of cities where people want to, you know, meet each other as human beings. And I think in the day and age where we're more and more digital, let's not forget it. As human beings, we also enjoy very much meeting all in person. Like the, this is the prime example. We have over 700 people here meeting in Madrid, coming in from all across Europe, all across the world, to talk, brainstorm, get this personal touch that you do not have by having it only on Zoom calls or Teams calls. What are the interesting investments that you can you can look at? It's responding to these needs. So where do people want to live? 
work, shop tomorrow. But, but, but in that instance, I think we're also seeing that people want to have access to whatever they need at their fingertips. They don't want to commit to longer terms. We don't buy movies anymore. We, we access them on Netflix. We don't go out and, and buy an, an album. We just down, have all of our songs on demand, you know, when we need to. So the consumerization of real estate, there's a massive growing need for that. So maybe this is a rhetorical question. I certainly believe it, but I think that while real estate, there will always be a need for us to come together 100%. Question is how many people want to access that flexibly? So you're you're right. The, the need for flexibility, new ways of consuming, are redefining certain asset classes that were are perhaps becoming more obsolete or, or differently used. So for, for sure, that, that is an element that is reshaping the way our you know, our real estate world is defined these days. And again, uniformization on one hand, with also niche asset classes that are being developed. The biggest challenge that I see to that, and I know that. I'm, I'm turning into the to the to the guest here, but the biggest challenge is the way we value the revenue coming in and that flexibility, right. um, and we, we discount it massively because it's not guaranteed. And I think that that valuation methodology, I'm, I'm preaching here on my soapbox, but that valuation methodology, there's huge demand for that, even if it's volatile. It's got to recognize the demand for that at some point. We have to invest in that in that service. No, you're, you're right. I think taking a huge step back in our real estate asset class, like that has become a pure financial product and more so more in the granular details of being, you know, understanding every parameter of it as, and it has been, you know, changing in the past 40 years from like no institutional capital being deployed and now being deployed in like defined asset classes that start with commercial real estate, residential is growing to, you know, every asset class has this, its different model. So you're talking about hospitality versus office. Office has for a long time been driven by long-term leases that you can value because why is that it's perceived as, you know, obviously depending on the rating of the firm that is occupying your building as a bond in a way until there's a lease break uh, or lease end and the tenant is either leaving or renewing. And that, that valuation of a lease within a building, that is how you were, you know, uh, with a DCF valuing your buildings. The flexibility concept that I'm, I'm going to generalize by saying, you know, the new ways of co-working, flex working, new models that has been driven in the past 10 to 15 years. I think the mindset has changed as to flexibility in leases on the office side. But when you look at the hospitality side, it's that has been in existence, you know, long-term contracts in hospitality are either with the operator itself that can provide that guarantee, but usually it's for management contracts, not necessarily leases. And so having this mindset of like more short-term cash flows that are more in control or fluctuating depending on the use, that is, I mean, yes, the office asset class is changing through this. And I think the flexibility is a driving factor changing it. Well, is a, a factor that is assessing it in a different manner than we've had in the past. Is it a bad thing? No. Like that means you also have more control and your rental uplifts. It means you have more control in the type of occupiers. It's responding to the needs of people that, you know, depending on the business, you might grow or shrink. And that means that you might need to relocate to another uh, type of space. Is it a bad thing as a landlord? Of course, you're losing in the short term, maybe someone, the cost of relocating tenants, of them leaving, repurposing, redefining it, finding like leasing up, all the fees on the way perhaps to get there. Yes, there's maybe some leakage there, but at the same time, it means also that you're building some financial product again that is more resilient, that you have more control 
that depending on also macro factors, like you talk, we talk about a little bit, of course, of inflation in, in today's environments. What does that mean on, a, on an asset class that has more flexibility with rents than are not locked in? It means you can also reflect that rental uplift in line with the standard of what tenants should be paying as market rent, for example. Absolutely. And uh, last season, Ilka Tamperi from CEO of Catman up in Helsinki talked through, through this and how they look at that. And that Lee, could you talk about if you have a portfolio that enables this flexibility and, and then sort of no strings attached kind of mentality to that customer. One of the interesting themes today is driving innovation, the power of tech and building efficiencies in the way you're managing your portfolio. As a conference last week where we had Ben Dimson from McKinsey was talking about the way you can build NOI uplift through the power of technology that has to be for the office asset class and, and commercial asset class as, as a whole between 15 and 22% of efficiencies. That's money on the table that you can retrieve both from a landlord, from an occupant, occupier and, and tenant standpoint and give back basically. That's value that is, in ex I mean, that you can create through a better use of your assets in operations and, you know, create value through it. And, and I'll just, in, in closing, sort of hat tip to, word to, to you guys, because at Realty Corp, not only are you buying assets and providing returns to your LPs, to your investors, you're also investing in prop tech. So you have this visibility on how to make these assets more efficient and drive higher NOI. Yes, we're super excited about the prop tech environment. A lot of you know, new ideas ways of you know shaping our, our real estate in, in a different manner. Uh, there's about 3,500 companies in Europe that are uh, so-called prop tech and are you know being exposed more and more so going forward with innovative solutions, product tech, in, in redefining how we manage our assets. So we're particularly excited about this. On, on the ULI side, I will say we're also very excited about the, the opportunity that it represents. We launched a few weeks ago the ULI PropTech Innovation Challenge. That is uh, a challenge, as its name says, where we're asking participants to um, solve one of the most pressing challenges of our industry, and number one being decarbonization and net zero, number two being increasing housing attainability, and number three being educating the next generation of diverse leaders within the industry. And we're asking all entrepreneurs, forward thinkers, disruptors, uh, to help solve these challenges with the power of tech, of innovation more generally, and solutions that didn't exist in the past that people are rethinking and, and can put on the table and offer to to all real estate stakeholders these days. Well, we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes so people listening can find out how to get involved with that initiative. And also we'll put a link in the show notes to your LinkedIn so people can connect directly with you. This has been fantastic. I certainly look forward to joining tomorrow and you know, meeting all the young leaders. Thanks, Caleb. It's an honor. Thank you for having me and uh, look forward to having continued discussions about this, the way we're redefining how we work, but also live, operate in today's world. Amazing. Enjoy the rest of the conference, Tiba. Thank you. You too. Have a good time in Madrid. And thank you for listening. And until next time, take care of yourself. And one last final time back in the studio with Anders from Nornorm. Anders, what does the future look like for Nornorm? Nornorm is not just a concept, a company or, or a service. It's really a new circular way of doing business. With Nornorm circular design and the flexible furniture solution, companies can get access and create spaces that minimize waste and prioritize sustainable practices. And with Nornorm, property owners and operators can use furniture to contribute to their ESG reporting, as we also track all the savings compared 
similar to if you would have bought the furniture. We really wish to create impact and to do so we need to appeal to the many, not the few. So at the core of the concept it is to offer really circular and attractive office interiors that are accessible to the many companies. And that's why we are so focused on securing we have a low price. This is how we can become a change maker and make a real impact. With a highly affordable subscription model that requires no investment and long-term commitments, we are really accessible for the many businesses. The same way Tesla's electrification of cars has sparked a movement towards electrification of many industries, we want to be that same catalyst of change towards circularity. And we start with the workspace industry. There we have it, a voyage into sustainable transformation powered by Nornorm. To join the revolution and sign up for a furniture subscription, please visit yournorm.com and stay tuned to the Workable Podcast for more revelations and visionary insights shaping the evolution of furniture as a service and its pivotal role in the world of real estate. And of course, I want to thank my Newflex colleague, Morgan Pierstore, for collaborating with me on this episode. A big shout out to Jeff for all your behind the scenes magic to produce the show. And my friend, mentor, and podcast prophet, Mr. Jason Allen Scott, for all your coaching, wisdom, and time to help me become a better host. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. I want to thank our headline sponsor, Nornorm, who we heard from across this episode. And if you don't know what Nornorm does, just a quick reminder, Nornorm is a furniture-as-a-service company. And there are three reasons why I believe they are a huge part of the future of our industry and why I wanted them to be our headline sponsor. Starting with number one, Nornorm is a fully circular business model. So by offering affordable and flexible office furniture on subscription, companies aren't stuck with products they don't need as they grow. Now tune into the next episode for more insights from Nornorm and to hear my reason number two. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. Making a high-quality podcast like this one takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire a podcast company. With our White Glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you'd build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would help grow your business? We do. Contact jason at apodcastcompany.com and let's talk.